We'll have a brief message from the Word of God um, and leave our final hymn until after the Lord's Supper today. Turn to Revelation chapter 5, please. Revelation 5. I want to speak briefly on the theme found here in this chapter. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Brief word about chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation as we approach them. Uh, they are in many ways sort of a New Testament version of Daniel 7. At least the scene is set up very much like it is in Daniel's vision that God gave him. But here John is given the vision, uh, being caught up in the vision into heaven. And he sees the throne of God in heaven. And he sees... Uh, beings that look very much like the cherubim, but they have a, a cry very much like the seraphim from the Old Testament, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> and there's this declaration at the end of chapter 4, um, because there are 24 elders as well as the four living creatures before the throne. The 24 elders seem to represent God's redeemed people. And they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so there's this context of God on the throne, ready to sit in judgment, um, as he was seen in Daniel 7 as well, in many ways. And he is getting glory uh, for the fact that he is the creator, sustainer of all things, and he is, he is the, uh, the one whom all creation glorifies in the end. Then we come to chapter 5. Um, Revelation 4 presented the Ancient of Days on his throne as he was in Daniel 7 with the praises of Isaiah 6 echoing his holiness. But now, chapter 5, there's a scroll in the hand of God in his right hand, in fact, as he's seated on his throne. A scroll which must be opened but which no one is worthy to open. Let's read verses 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5 of Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he could open the scroll and its seven seals. What is this scroll? Well, there's been very various thoughts about it. Uh, I believe I remember some have even talked about it being sort of an inheritance scroll for the earth. But if you compare this scroll to its Old Testament background, this is intentionally, there's things about this scroll that are a lot like some scrolls we see in the Old Testament, like with Ezekiel the prophet. And um, because of that Old Testament background, G.K. Beale says this. He says the book, or the scroll, is thus best understood as containing God's plan of judgment and redemption. So it's judgment and redemption. God's plan is going to unfold as it's written in this scroll. 
He says uh, his plan of judgment and redemption, which has been set in motion by Christ's death and resurrection, but has yet to be completed. In order for for God's people to be to receive the fullness, the consummation of their salvation, in order for the wicked to be judged and taken out of the way, in order for everything to be restored which has gone wrong in God's world, this scroll has to be opened. And as it's opened and read, the things that must happen will then happen. There's also, of course, the idea that that uh, much of God's plan for world history is, you know, it's secret to him. <laughs> uh, only he can reveal what he's planned to happen. The scroll is sealed up with seven seals, so it can't be unrolled yet to be read. But a, a, a mighty angel proclaims with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth might hear echo of like what Paul says in Philippians 2, right? Um, everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, this is encompassing every part of the universe is the idea. No one is found worthy to unleash God's plan of judgment and redemption and to bring it to pass. And so John weeps loudly. But one of the elders, again, as I said, somehow there's discussion about how this is, but somehow the 24 elders before God's throne seem to represent God's redeemed people. But one of these elders says to John, stop weeping. Behold, look, there's one who's worthy. He says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He's overcome. Remember all that language in the book of the Revelation about the overcomers, the the one who conquers. There's one who's overcome. So that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. Dennis Johnson has a great commentary on the book of the Revelation that, that keeps it at a level where it's it's still easy reading. Um, but it's fantastic um, in its viewpoint on the text. The Triumph of the Lamb, a commentary on Revelation by Dennis Johnson. Here's what he says here about just explaining why he's called, why Christ here is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. He says, when Israel, or, or Jacob, bestowed a final blessing on his sons, he compared Judah with a lion and foresaw a perpetual royal dynasty from Judah's line. Genesis 49, 8-12. God's selection of David as king in place of the Benjaminite Saul set the fulfillment of Israel's prophecy in motion. So David was from the tribe of Judah. Though the exile would make it seem that David's dynasty had been cut off, like a tree sawn down, leaving only root and stump, Isaiah foresaw a fresh shoot from the stump of David's father Jesse, a fruitful branch springing from a root that seemed lifeless and hopeless. He refers to Isaiah 11 there. He says these promises were finally to reach fulfillment in Jesus, the anointed king, son of David, son of Abraham, Matthew 1.1. In view of David's well-known prowess as the warrior champion of God's people, the elders' announcement that this lion king has overcome comes as no surprise. Surely Judah's fierce lion is a victor worthy to open the scroll. End of quote. 
The important thing here is, but the even more important thing is that the elder says this to John before he actually turns around and looks. He says, oh, who, who are you talking about? He says, behold, the lion from Judah's line, the root of David, the one whom God caused to spring up from a lifeless line. He's overcome, and so John now looks. Who is this mighty victor, this lion? Who is the solitary and victorious lion, the one who alone can, can overcome and fulfill all God's good purposes for his creation? Well, we saw the solitary and victorious lion in verses 1 through 5, but now verses 6 and 7, we see the slain but risen lamb. The slain but risen lamb. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Start with some of the, the lesser details and work our way out. So, so this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Seven is a number that, of course, shows up all the time, especially in the book of the Revelation, uh, as a number of completion or perfection, and horns in Scripture represent honor and power. In fact, in places like Daniel and Revelation, powerful kings are represented as horns in these visions. But here there is seven, uh, one with seven horns. Here there is perfect power and omnipotence. And he has seven eyes. The, obvi the eyes, obviously, what do eyes do? They see. So they represent the knowledge and wisdom of perfect sight. And John says that these seven eyes represent the seven spirits of God, which that phrase shows up various places in Revelation, meaning all the perfections of God's Holy Spirit, all the resources of the Holy Spirit of God in every place. And there's a vast amount of scriptural background for that symbolism of the Spirit. We don't have time to see all that right now. But put simply, the Holy Spirit given by the Father to the Son, the Holy Spirit is Christ's agent sent out into all the earth. As it says here, he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So this lamb has everything needed to accomplish God's purposes. All power, all knowledge and wisdom. It reminds you of what Isaiah says. Of uh, He lists seven attributes of the spirit which god puts upon his messiah spirit of knowledge and wisdom etc but this lamb bears the marks of slaughter this lamb should be dead he, he looks as if he's been slain yet there he stands the slaughtered lamb with perfect power, knowledge, and wisdom, with the messianic anointing of God's Spirit at his complete disposal. This one called the lion, but when you look at him, he looks like a lamb. He dares to approach God's throne. And the lamb takes the scroll. See why I titled this section, The Slain But Risen Lamb. He's not even what his own people expected him to be, is he? They knew he'd be the Lion of Judah, 
They didn't understand that he would be a lamb slain. Silently, silently going to his death, but then rising to reign. Once the lamb goes and takes the scroll out of God's right hand, we have in verses 8 through 14 the praises of the lamb in three stages. The praises of the lamb. First of all, there's the new song of redemption, verses 8 through 10. Then the loud cry of the angels, verses 11 through 12. And then the universal chorus of all creatures, verses 13 through 14. First of all, the new song of redemption. Verses 8 through 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And um, G.K. Bill comments that this phrase, uh, having each one a harp in the Greek grammar, uh, I don't bring this out often, but it matters here. Uh, It refers grammatically only to the elders, not to the living creatures. So the creatures and the elders fall down before the lamb, but each of the elders has a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And um, again, these 24 elders, they, um, they might partly remind us of the 24 orders of Levites commissioned to give thanks and praise the Lord in First Chronicles 25. Uh, David, King David also organized 24 orders of, uh, or courses of the priesthood. These people representing the redeemed, they're a priesthood or representing the priesthood in heaven before God's throne. <clears throat> and they have a harp, as David of old, to sing God's praises. And they have incense, which represents the prayers of the saints going up before the throne. And their song is the new song of redemption. Because it says they sang a new song. Why does it call it a new song? Or why does it matter? Well, as Dennis Johnson says, in the history of salvation, new songs were composed to celebrate new events in which the Lord rescued his people. It says the new song now sung by living creatures and elders celebrates an exodus that makes previous rescues pale in comparison. You remember... When Moses and the Israelites were on the other side of the Red Sea and the dead bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the shore, they sang to the Lord a new song, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. Here, this is after a greater exodus. Speaks of a greater Passover lamb. As at the first Passover, this lamb was slain to ransom, to redeem slaves doomed to die. And to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When Israel marched to Mount Sinai and they got there in Exodus 19, the Lord called to Moses out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And here's where the wording comes for the new song in Revelation. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So once again, there is a great work of redemption by the blood of a lamb. (laughs) 
that ransoms people for God. And those redeemed by the Lamb are made priests by his priestly work. And he is a king, and they will share in his royal reign on the earth. It says, and they shall reign on the earth. Adam had dominion over the earth, but then he sinned, and the earth fell under the curse of sin and the influences of the serpent. But Christ is the last Adam who won what the first Adam never attained. And so all those redeemed in Jesus shall reign upon the earth. Everything shall be put in subjection under our feet. As it was meant to be. This is the new song of redemption. The lamb is utterly worthy to carry out God's purposes of judgment and redemption. Because... He's earned it. He was slain, and by that bloody death, he ransomed a new people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. He's made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And in response to that wonderful song, the angels can't keep silent. We have the loud cry of the angels, verses 11 through 12. John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. How many? Numbering myriads of myriads. Um, The older translations might bring out more um, the picturesque language here. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Countless, in other words. Countless angels saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Notice they use seven words. Again, that seven, the number seven keeps coming up here. They use seven words to ascribe things of which the Lamb is worthy. To describe things of which the Lamb is worthy. Um, getting this again from Dennis Johnson, he says, Uh, This seven-part rehearsal of the Lamb's excellencies may be grouped into a a first set of four, power, riches, wisdom, might, describing the resources that qualify him to exercise divine rule over history, and a second set of three, honor, glory, blessing, describing the response to the Lamb's worthiness that is incumbent on all creatures everywhere in his dominion. The Lamb is worthy to have all things at his disposal that he needs, Power, riches, wisdom, might. Power, wealth, wisdom, might. And he is worthy of our response. What response? Honor, glory, blessing ascribed to him. All the honor and praise we could heap upon him. He's worthy. Then, and again, remember in Revelation, um, because of, of the kind of... of um, visionary literature it is this is there's always a level of symbolism here uh, picturing things maybe not exactly directly but here what it's picturing now is the fact that all creation eventually will give the lamb his due there's the universal chorus of all creatures verse 13 and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them Saying to saying this to him who sits on the throne. So the ancient of days, God, the father 
and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, or you could say, say kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. G.K. Bill says, The work of Christ is a continuation of God's work in creation in that it causes all creation to return glory to its creator, whether willingly or by force, as the following chapters reveal. Our purpose today, of course, is not to then see the rest of the book of the Revelation. That would be way too much. Our purpose is just to have the praises of the Lamb ringing in our ears and in our minds. Who would have thought, who would have thought up this plan of redemption but God himself? A lion was needed and yet he came as a lamb to be slaughtered. And that was the way, the only way, to have a people ransomed for God. To have a kingdom without just destroying everyone who would have populated the kingdom. Who would have thought of this plan of redemption but God himself? The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to conquer. He has conquered already. He is worthy of all that God plans because he conquered not through normal conquest. He conquered through bloody death. That's what we celebrate here this afternoon in the table. He ransomed us. He bought us by his blood. So with the praises of the Lamb ringing in our ears, let's now celebrate that which he gave us to remember his redemption. The Lord's table is, if you will, this sermon's closing application. You want to apply the sermon? Well, let's come to the table together. We gave the gospel this morning for those who aren't in Christ. And again, as I'll say, as I'll remind you in a moment, this table is only for those who have experienced this great redemption. But one proper response of praise to the Lamb is to do as he told us. To remember him in this way until he comes. To rejoice in our great redemption. Let's pray together. Father, please do not allow us to lose or to never have the proper awe and reverence we should have for Christ and his work. We realize we serve a king who bought us by his own blood, yet he rose to life to reign forevermore. He is worthy of all we could ever devote to him. He is worthy of uh, our soul and our life and our all. Please help us to put away distractions now, to be able to focus on Christ's death in our place and the fact that he loves us and he loved us to that extent. And if you, Father, gave your son in this way for us, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.